The reading today is from Psalms 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up to. The tribes of the Lord to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stands the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, Lynn, for reading that psalm. And thank you, Rupert, for um, inviting some of us to share in this summer sermon series um, on psalms. And we all picked one. And this is the one I've picked. And it being August and all, um, and we have just come back from a week away, I thought I would make use of this wonderful invitation to share some holiday photos. So, um, Gary, take it away. So, we went north, and our first stop was, if you know where this is, do shout, and I'll be incredibly impressed, but you don't. So, this is Moulton in Yorkshire, and that was our first stop. And then the next one, this is us on a beach near Annick. And there, some of you will know her. This is Sarah Dobson, but you can't actually see her face because she is windswept. And um, then from there, we went up to the west coast of Scotland and drove from Ullapool down again. And so this is a vantage point near a place called Applecross. And, there, and then we went down and we then went to Glasgow and there is Mark with his cousin Alison doing some grave hunting for an ancestor. And the next photo, now, there we are. We then went to the northeast, back to Northumberland, and there is where it all began for Mark Beard. That is Victory Church, yes, darling? Victory Church in a village called Horden in the northeast of England, and if you didn't need um, evidence before now, you have just let Mark Beard, raving Pentecostal, into your midst. And you can tell because it says, Jesus saves on the metal gates. But um, in mentioning that, can I just say thank you for all your warm support and love um, for Mark's upcoming ordination. We have really been overwhelmed um, by the love and warmth you have shown us. So thank you. So anyway, there are our holiday photos. And um, thank you, Gary. Um, so what they show for me is that for Mark, going to the north is always a pilgrimage. The further north we get, the bigger the smile, the broader the accent, so broad that actually even the locals don't know what he's saying. And every time he makes that journey, and every time any of us make a journey to a place we've called home, it's a reminder, this is where I come from, these are my people, this place to a great extent explains who I am. And that's what Psalm 122 is for me. 
It's a song of pilgrimage. It's a psalm that talks about the feeling, that simply wonderful feeling of going to a place you love, being with people you love, and wishing the day would never end. If you have the Bible, just scan the verses with me. The psalmist is saying in verses 1 and 2, I love going to Jerusalem. I love going to Jerusalem with these people. Verses 3, 4, and 5, Jerusalem is an amazing city. It's where we all get together to celebrate that God is our God and we are his people. And then from verse 6 onwards, this is just great. This is just great, and let's keep it this way forever. We take a step back for a moment just to observe that Psalm 122 is one of 15 psalms that has the tag Song of Ascents. It says Psalm 122 of David, Song of Ascents. No one knows exactly what's meant by a Song of Ascents, but the most compelling and probably the most helpful explanation is that Songs of Ascents were sung by pilgrims as they ascended, as they made the journey up to Jerusalem, which was the highest city in the place in every sense, for one of the annual religious feasts. And Eugene Peterson, the man who produced the message translation of the Bible, wrote a book on these psalms, the 15 Songs of Ascents. The book is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a wonderful book, and um, I would recommend it. And he reminds us of the whole point of these feasts. As the people of God, he writes, the Hebrews regularly climbed the road to Jerusalem to worship. They refreshed their memories of God's saving ways at the Feast of Passover in the spring. They renewed their commitment as God's covenanted people at the Feast of Pentecost in early summer. And then they responded as a blessed community to the best that God had for them at the Feast of Tabernacles in the autumn. They were a redeemed people, a commanded people, a blessed people. And Peterson writes, these foundational realities were preached and taught and praised at all three annual feasts. Foundational realities. We are a redeemed people, a commanded people, a blessed people. And today we don't have to physically climb a hill to come into the presence of God to worship. Jesus said to the woman at the well, John chapter 3, it doesn't matter where you worship God. The time has come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So unlike the people in the psalm, our worship is no longer dictated by a physical place, or location, or a physical ritual. Our worship is to be dictated by the Spirit. It's not a matter of coming to a church or some other sanctuary. But whenever we gather like this, we are dictated by the Spirit, who moves wherever it chooses, and says, keep up, keep in step with the Spirit. So whatever the style of worship, whenever we come together like this, what we preach and teach and praise is the same. We are a redeemed people. We are a commanded people. We are a blessed people. And I found those three definitions that um, Eugene Peterson 
drew out, I found them really useful as a way of studying the psalm. So as we launch into it, I just want to pray, Heavenly Father, thank you that you have called us and we are your people. Thank you that in your light, in your presence, we know who we are because we discover who you are. Thank you for that and thank you this morning for the companionship of fellow pilgrims. And we pray that together we will now open our hearts to you and hear what you have to say to us this morning by your spirit. We pray this for your glory. Amen. Okay, so first of all, we are a redeemed people. And I just want to highlight again the simply wonderful feeling um, described in the first two verses of the psalm, the sense of delight and exuberance and energy. I rejoiced with those who said to me, or I was glad when they said to me, let's go, let us go to the house of the Lord. So there's this wonderful sense of anticipation and then they arrive, they actually arrive. Verse two, our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. It's the simplicity of the emotion that is so moving. It's the joy of a child who wakes up and is told, we're going to the seaside today, let's go. Or we're going to Disneyland, let's go. And do you remember the burst of excitement and energy that was released in your whole body when somebody said to you, let's go? It's a feeling we remember so well from childhood. It gets more elusive, doesn't it, when we get older and a bit more world-weary. And that's sad because there's nothing like that burst of excitement, that burst of uninhibited joy. And the thing is, we can't manufacture the joy, that would be really awful. And any attempts to display uninhibited exuberance by some other means is usually disastrous and not very satisfying anyway. But we can experience the real thing, truly and fully, whatever our age or situation, with the help of the Spirit. There is a story about King David one of my favorite stories about King David, bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, bringing the symbol of God's presence into the city. We read the story in um, the second book of Samuel, chapter six. David went to bring up the Ark of God to the city of David with rejoicing. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark with shouts and the sound of trumpets. I love that. What a scene. David dancing before the Lord with all his might. Think of this, a king full of the spirit, and we know that because we're told um, that's what he was, holding nothing back in his dance, leading his people in a full-hearted worship of God. What does this have to do with being a redeemed people? Everything. David danced like this not because he loved to dance, or he might have done, but that wasn't the reason. No, it was simply and completely because of what he was celebrating. A God who had saved him, a God who had rescued him from enemies who wanted him dead, who had established him as king over all Israel, who had brought about peace and stability for his people so that it was safe, finally, 
to bring the ark into Jerusalem. David knew that wasn't down to his own cleverness. God had delivered him in a big way. Quite simply, he was alive when he should have been dead several times over. That's something to dance about. That's something to celebrate. And that's what we remind each other when we gather. Our God has saved us. We are alive when we should have been dead. We are a redeemed people. When the Spirit reminds us of that, when the Spirit convicts us of that, of that simple truth, we have a simple and unbridled joy. We might even dance. Or we might not. And here's the thing. There is a counterpoint to David's dancing story, isn't there? We read of his wife, Michal, the daughter of Saul, who watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And after the day of festivities, we read that David came home. And he returned home, we're told specifically, when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. Do we see the tragedy of this? David returned home to bless, to bless his household. He came with a blessing. And he's met by his wife, who's so offended that she'll have none of it. Do you call yourself a king? She's saying, you've just behaved like the lowest of the low. You're vulgar. You're a disgrace. And David didn't allow his spirit, the spirit, to be quenched. He said to her, it was before the Lord that I danced. And I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will become even more undignified. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you speak of, I will be held in honor. I want to be like David. I desperately want to be like David. I want the joy of the spirit. I want the uninhibited dancing. I really, really do. But so often, I catch myself behaving like his wife behaving like Michal, of the critical spirit. Because, hey, I've been around long enough to know how kings should behave. I've been around long enough to know how things should be done. You know, the older I get, the more grateful I am that I have many committed Christians in my family and many of us are in ministry. But, you know, when ministry becomes the family business, it's so easy to be critical. I remember... My, my, my mother going to visit my sister who had just married and they were ministering in East Malaysia, a real diversity of ethnic Chinese and Malays and um, tribe people who, who were still living in, in the interior, of tribal people. And my mother said, she brought back a video of my sister dancing in worship with tambourines. And my sister had never done that. And she said, look, look at your sister dancing with tambourine. And she said, you know, it was great. It was wonderful there. You know, it was really, really good. I loved it. But, you know, my mother said, it would be a bit weird here, wouldn't it? You know, she didn't say it with great conviction. Um, but, and, you know, she has since come round to tambourines, even in this country. But, um, but, you know, it can be more serious. We can be much more critical than that. And the thing is, it isn't just rude. When I give in to the critical spirit, 
the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit can't do its work in me. I exclude myself from the blessing. I make myself fruitless. You know, that story ends with our being told, Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. We can exclude ourselves. We can make ourselves fruitless. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Lord, give me the simple joy that comes from this simple truth. You have saved me. I'm alive when I should be dead. Redeemed people have every reason to be simply joyful. Secondly, we are a commanded people. Being simply joyful, being free to dance without inhibition, doesn't mean we spend our days in reckless abandon. We are redeemed, we are also a commanded people. And verse 4 is very specific about this. Jerusalem is where the tribes of the Lord go up to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. And there stand the thrones for judgment, verse 5, the thrones of the house of David. God is a God who commands, a God who judges, and the command together is both an Old Testament command and a New Testament command. Hebrews 10 as one example. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another. We might not feel like gathering, but we gather because we are commanded to. And we obey not for the sake of the rules, but for the sake of love. If you love me, you will obey my commands, Jesus said. And there's also, I think, another reference to living within the commands of God in the description of the city itself. If you look at verse 3, it says, Jerusalem is built like a city closely compacted together. What does that mean? It's a bit cryptic. And I find an older translation a bit more helpful here. Jerusalem is built as a city that is at unity in itself. Jerusalem is built as a city that is in unity in itself. In its design, in the way it's built, the unity, the integrity of the city reflects the integrity, the oneness of the nature of God and the oneness of heart that he commands of his people in worship. As we try to picture this city, listen again to this familiar command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. The oneness of God, the one undivided heart that we are to have in worship. The city in its unity reflects that. We are a commanded people, and as such, we choose to live within the city limits, within the city walls, within its safety and protection. Our culture puts huge pressure on us on every side to think of freedom as living without any constraints, of freedom as roaming wherever we like in a boundless expanse. And if you think about it, in biblical terms, roaming about in a boundless expanse sounds alarmingly like wandering in the wilderness. Even in Revelation, when John describes the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem is described in terms of a specific shape and form. It's described with particular dimensions, 
Even in eternity, perfect freedom is not a boundless expanse, but rather perfect freedom is our being able to live perfectly within the will of God, within the boundary lines set by God. We are a commanded people. And finally, we are a blessed people. The final segment of the psalm, verses 6 onwards, is an exhortation to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And after the excitement and energy and joy of the earlier verses, this last bit takes on a more sober tone. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your wars and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. There seems to be an awareness here from the psalmist that the peace, the safety, the prosperity of Jerusalem, all this blessing, all this well-being, it's wonderful. But it was hard won and it was fragile and it's fragile. I want this to last forever, the psalmist is saying. I pray it will last forever, but I know it's fragile. And historically, we know the truth of that. The city of Jerusalem would fall more than once. Its walls would be breached. Its people would be exiled and scattered. But God did answer his people's prayer for the peace of Jerusalem in his own way. A way beyond the psalmist's imagining. A way that extends the reach of blessing beyond Israel to us. In the Gospels, we read of Jesus' own pilgrimage, Jesus' final pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the, peace, for the feast of Passover. We read of him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We read of him being accompanied by his companions. He comes into Jerusalem to shouts and the waving of palm branches and the people wanting to crown him as king. What happens after that? We read in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children, within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. It's as though Jesus was saying, you, you know that you are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That is what you pray for. But if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now it's hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you no we didn't recognize God's coming to us but Jesus came anyway and we didn't know how to maintain the peace and we didn't know what would bring us peace but Jesus won the peace for us anyway 
With tears, he set his face toward Jerusalem and he went to the cross. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So today, as we meditate on this psalm, on this journey to Jerusalem, we thank God that because Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem, we have the joy of redeemed people. Because Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem, we can choose to live within his boundary lines, the safety and security of his boundaries. Because Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem, we have the blessing of a peace that isn't fragile, that is unshakable. And as that blessed people, we seek to be like him. We seek to extend the reach of blessing from us to others. And we open our arms to those others. And we say to them the words that we heard and that thrilled us. I know a place. Let's go.